Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. You want to talk about first-time GMs and types of adventures to run? Anything to help new GMs. Q-C-U-E music. And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Zenda. And tonight's topic comes from Joel, who said, Hello, pandas. I love your podcast and enjoy it despite not playing a lot of RPGs. For example, I have never DM'd. So my question is, how to prepare for your first DM slash GM experience? Would you recommend using existing campaigns or one-shots or coming up with your own? Greetings from the unseasonably sunny Grand Duchy of Luxembourg, Joel. Yeah, Europe represents. (laughs) It's awesome. We're super excited that you're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, and glad that it's unseasonably sunny. Um, it was unseasonably windy here, uh, but we don't have to talk about that now. No. <laughs> um, so, Joel, it's time to get you behind the metaphorical GM screen. And I say metaphorical because neither Senda nor I use GM screens. True fact. Um, but it is a it is a good metaphor. So, it's uh, time to get you behind the screen. So, this is your primer to get you ready. Because all great GMs are beginners somewhere, Mm -hmm. um, and you got to just get on the road to greatness, like start running games. So (laughs) what we're going to do tonight is help you out with that. And how are we doing that? So we're going to do two things. We are going to provide some general advice on how to prepare to GM. Then we're going to talk through the pros and cons of writing your own sessions or running published ones, particularly from the perspective of this is my first one right so phil is never unprepared (laughs) so tell me what does a new gm need to know and do to be ready to gm to be prepared as it were to be prepared yes Yes. so when it comes to being a new gm and you're just starting out simplicity is the key so if you're listening to the show, if you've been listening to Misdirected Mark or anything like that, like we talk about a lot, a lot of different GMing stuff. But when you're first starting out, you need to kind of ignore most of it. Yeah. Um, especially if you're listening to like Misdirected Mark, which is more like the 300 level class, right? Like that is the 300 level class on GMing. We are more like a 200, sometimes a 100 level class on GMing. Yeah, so, we, we move wherever we need to. Yep. So our best advice is you need to simplify and and just focus on the basics. So we're going to talk about three things tonight. Right. So the the things that are probably the most important just starting out, and we would say those are rules mastery, adventure prep, and then mise en place. Whoa, mise en place. I know you like that. I do like that one. All right. And the reason we're going to talk about these three things is that they are, of course, not even close to the list of skills and, and things that you will do in order to GM. Yeah, there but are they, eight, eight of those, right? There are eight of them. The <laughs> list shifts depending on how I'm talking. The number stays the same. It's what the eight, eight are, yeah, yeah change. Yeah, they change. <laughs> um, but these three things that we just talked about, rules mastery, adventure prep, and mise-en-place, are the things that are going to slow you down when you're running. They're going to be the things that make things clunky. And that's going to make everything else harder. So we're going to talk about these three things in hopes to make them go more smoothly. 
And then you can focus on guiding the table and making a great story together. Yeah. So we're going to kind of leave things out that we've talked about them before, right? But things like spotlight management, scene framing, and a bunch of other skills that we've talked about on the show, those are things that take a little bit more time to develop because they just take experience, right? Um, and you you do them and you practice them, you, but you'll, you're going to find it easier to focus on them and do those things if you have these three basic things, the rules, mastery, adventure, prep, and in place, if you have those out of the way, it's much easier to give your brain space to think about the other stuff. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. Yes, we are, we're going to try to free you up to work on those other things. Yeah, we're going to free up your cognitive load. Yep. All right, so let's, uh, let's get started by talking about rules mastery. So in order to run a game, you need to have some mastery of the rules of the game. Now... When you're first starting to run the game, that mastery does not need to be complete nor absolute. It does help that you have read through the rules once, that you have some familiarity with what's in the book. And then most importantly, you want to make sure that you know the handful of mechanics that are going to come up frequently in your game. So like if we're talking about like a D20 style game, you're going to want to know the core mechanic for doing skill checks. And you're going to want to know how basic combat works, right? You don't need to know how aerial combat works. And you don't need to know the rules for drowning. And you don't need to know the rules for scrying. You're going to learn those later. But you do need to know how to pick a DC for a skill check and how to have a player make one. And you do need to know how to figure out if you uh, hit somebody and if you do how to do damage, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... It's that kind of core thing. Now, that's going to vary from game to game. But as you read the game, you'll figure out which the important pieces are. You're also going to want to find cheat sheets for the game that you're running. Many companies make cheat sheets. Uh, If you're doing Powered by the Apocalypse, for instance, most Powered by the Apocalypse games have a set of cheat sheets already built in. If you're doing something like Blades in the Dark, there are cheat sheets. Although I'm going to say if you're a brand new GM, I might not pick Blades in the Dark as my first game. Mm -hmm. Um, Just saying. But find the cheat sheets and download them. Right. And if you can't find them, or if looking at them, you go, gosh, this is the stuff that's super easy for me. I need to know the grapple rules or whatever, then make them. Right? That's kind of our advanced tip, right? Like, yeah. you're not saying you have to make you don't them. Have but, to. Like- but they are there to make you feel more comfortable and to prevent you from having to flip through rules, right? So if they will do that for you and you can't find them, then you can make some. Yep. The good part is that besides the companies making them, a lot of times community people make them. Yeah. So a little poking around, you should be able to find one. A lot of times you find them, yeah. Okay. So the go- again, the goal with rules mastery is know just enough of the game to get it moving. Yeah. You want to avoid having to go to the rule book every time something comes up in the game. You want to go to the rule book for the, the kind of more fringy stuff. Yeah. And over time... As you play and as you encounter different situations and look up rules, either during your prep or during a session, you'll build up more and more rules mastery. But try to get those basics, which is usually skill checks in combat. Yeah. Try to get the basics down uh, before you start running your game. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about adventure prep but don't tell me the type of adventure yeah 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 right that's the tricky part with this one so because in a few minutes we are going to talk about writing your own adventure or running a published one so this is sort of the overall in either 
in either case version, right? So you want to make sure that you've read the adventure and are familiar with what it's about and where it's going and slash or have planned in your head what it's about and where it's going, right? You may want to make side notes, highlight the text, put book tabs in, whatever it is, lay the stuff out in a way that you can find it so that you can remember key parts of the rules and the story that go with that particular adventure that you're running. Yeah, so like when I was running Dungeon Crawl Classics um, a few months ago, uh, I was using published adventures, which is actually something we'll talk about in a second I don't do very often. Um, And in order to prep the published adventure, I had the PDF, and in my PDF reader, uh, I used different color highlights to highlight different sections of each each encounter. Yeah. So I would highlight yellow for the text that I had to read to the player. So sometimes this was box text, and sometimes it was like additional things like about the room that I had to make sure that I said. So I would highlight those in yellow. If there were any rules that were important to the scene, like a difficulty or there's a trap in this section or, you know, whatever I would, I would highlight those in blue and then any stat blocks for monsters and things like that, I would highlight in green. And it sounds like a lot, but what it meant was that during the game, when I turned the page for the next, you know, for the next room, uh, I would immediately see those three colors and I would know like, okay, make sure you're describing what's in yellow, but more importantly, There are things in blue, so, like, if the players flip over this thing, you know, this thing happens. Like, I didn't lose track of those. Yeah, which they can be kind of hard to keep track of sometimes, Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. And then the other part of that, and this is part of it, right, like, keeping track of all that stuff is you want to be familiar with what's going on in the overall story as well. So, reading through, like, the whole adventure if you're playing from a published adventure, not just, like, the scene that you're running tonight. Because if your players deviate from the story, you kind of need to know what direction you're going still, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you want to be able to find the important information so that you don't leave important stuff out of the scene. So that's like where you specifically were highlighting things in blue because that's, that's that moment where somebody flips over a stone and I go, oh, nothing happens. And then I'm like going skimming through my page going, oh, crap, maybe something happens. I sort of vaguely remember that. Oh, yeah, go back, go back, go back. This actually happens, right? Yeah, that's the thing you're really trying to avoid, right? With adventure yes. prep is, uh, with, with published stuff is the, wait, wait, go back. Wait, wait, go back. Redo- I forgot a thing because I didn't remember it all in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, again, the bumpy pieces, right? right? We're trying to well, smooth out those bumps. Yeah. And we'll talk about more about that. Um, in, the second in a little half. bit. Yeah. The last one is mise en place, um, which is not one that I think if you ask a lot of GMs uh, about um, that they would be like, oh, absolutely, you have to do mise en place, right? Right. Um, I actually fell in love with this one because I'm a um, highly type A personality. Two, I love to learn new what? things. What? Um, <laughs> and I was watching like YouTube videos or something and, and came on, came upon this topic, um, in terms of cooking, right? So in mise en place is, um, French term and it means, uh, everything in its place. And it primarily is about cooking that like when you are about to cook that you put all your stuff in a certain order and in certain places so that as you're cooking, you can get to all your stuff, right? Um, I am habitual about this when I cook. Like, I take out all my ingredients and I put them in little, you know, glass containers, whatever, so that as I'm cooking, I'm not, like, feverishly trying to measure stuff or anything like that. I like all my stuff neat. And then I, you know, move smoothly through that space. 
I think in, in, by the smile on Senda's face, in contrast <laughs> yeah. to Senda, who probably just blaze, like blazes a trail through her kitchen. Well, I mean, frankly, it depends on if it's something I've made before, because if it's something I made before, then what I've done is I already know exactly how long I can leave certain parts of it so that I can start something and then like chop stuff and not have to spend the time to have started everything at the beginning. Like it's, it's, it's a time compression. Yeah, I um, get it. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's good for food. Yeah, it's uh, good what for the food. hell does it have to do about GMing, <laughs> right? So let's talk about what it means to for GMing. So what it means in GMing is that you need to give some thought, especially before you start playing. You need to give some thought to how you want to lay out your space on the table and how the rest of the table is going to get laid out depending on what the parts components are for your game. And so this includes things like where do your notes go? Where do your dice go? What are you going to write things down on as the session's taking place? If you're playing complicated games that have lots of parts like fate, where do your fate points go? Where are aspects going? Are you using are you using index cards? Are you using dry erase cards? Are you, you know, do you have markers? If you're doing Savage Worlds, you have minis, you have bennies, you have initiative decks. Like where is all that stuff going? Because if you don't think about that and that gets disorganized, that is an additional thing that your brain is doing as you're playing the game is like, okay, well, where's the initiative deck? Or where should I put the initiative deck? Or where should I put initiative cards for players and things like that? And if you're doing that, you're not worrying about, like your brain isn't doing the things like scene framing and dialogue and things like that. Paying attention to the spotlight and stuff, yeah. Exactly. So you do want to give some thought to how you lay stuff out. And I will say that for certain games, I think I did it last time for, I think I did it for Blades in the Dark. Before my first session, I actually went downstairs to my table and like put things out on the table and was like, is this efficient? Like, do do I, can I get to the clock cards? Like, do I have the clock cards? Do I have a, you know, a sheet for additional clocks for campaign clocks? And like, you know, cause there's a lot of stuff going on in Blades and like, where's that all going to be? Right? Because otherwise I'm going to be like a hot mess trying to run this thing. Yes. Yeah. Now, conversely, if this isn't a thing that you're terribly interested in, I highly recommend running simpler games without as many moving parts. Oh, Um, hello. (laughs) Right. It takes far less to organize if your game has very few parts to it. Yes. Um, But if you are going to run something like Savage Worlds or you are going to run 5e with a map and minis and all that stuff. You don't don't want to be hunting through your mini bin to find the orcs. Right. Exactly. Like know where they are and know how to find them and know that it was possible that they were coming up tonight. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Like, yeah. So if you if you are doing minis per encounter, like you said, like have a little side, you know, have like containers off to the side with your, you know, with your figures so that you can get them out and get them to the table quickly and then get them off the table and all that stuff. Yep. So, yeah. So that's mise en place. Mise en place is giving thought to how you want to arrange your stuff. And it sounds at first a little silly, but trust me that a little thought put into how your section of the jamming table is going to go is going to smooth another set of those bumps yes okay definitely so now that we've talked about some general tips for getting started let's go ahead and dive into joel's actual question which is would you recommend using existing campaigns slash one shots or coming up with your own so i'm going to talk about writing your own and i'm going to talk about using published material (laughs) ta-da So when we talk about writing your own, ad-libbing also falls into this category, which is why I am talking about this part. 
because that is my main method of GMing, right? So the main advantages of writing your own game are going to be your familiarity with the content and how it matches to your particular style. So when you write an adventure, you, of course, write it in your style, like whatever kind of stories you like to tell. So what that means is it will have elements that are going to match up to the things you like and the things that you're familiar with, that your group's familiar with, and all the things that they like, right? That's that's your style. It means when you write your own that you're not you're also not going to have any conflicts with your style because you're not going to put something in that you don't like running, right? So if if you if you're not a fan of running romance, which is ridiculous because romancing games is awesome, <laughs> it is. but if you weren't a fan of romance, yep. then you just wouldn't put it in. Exactly. So then when it comes to running the game, because you wrote it or because you've planned it in your head as an ad lib thing, whichever it is, you know where the game is going, right? Like that is, it's your story, it's your baby. Um, And so you have a much better feel for what to do if it deviates from, say, scenes that you've written down, right? Because you know the end point and you can still get them there. You know all the rest of the moving parts. You're not trying to remember someone else's. Right. Advanced tip. It's never going to go the way you planned it. Really, no, it's not. (laughs) So that's one of those things where familiarity, because you just because it's coming out of your head, it just makes things run smoother because you don't have to try and remember something that you might have read once or twice versus something that you've been thinking about and being excited, hopefully, about creating for like a while, right? Because it's exciting. The big disadvantage is that it takes significant additional time to actually write a game before you run it, right? Especially your first one. Yeah, so if this is your first game ever, right, you're already learning the rules of the game, right, because you're trying to achieve mastery. You may be looking for or building some cheat sheets. Mm -hmm. You should be thinking about how to arrange your materials at the table. Mm -hmm. And on top of all that, you now have to, before the game gets started, you need to write an adventure. Yeah, so depending on how familiar you are with prepping adventures, the very first one versus being a seasoned GM, um, it can be a substantial amount of work because you may not know which parts you need to write down for yourself yet because that's sort of a learning experience thing, which parts you can ad-lib, all of those things, right? Or you may not be super familiar with how other people write adventures to kind of have something to follow along with, right? Anyway, if we go then to talk more specifically about ad-libbing or improving, it's not actually necessarily less work to do it that way. We've said this before, but basically what it does is it shifts where you need to do the prep, right? Yeah, you're going to you're going to write fewer things down, right? Like that's the whole idea when people are like, I showed up to the game with a post-it note. Um, <laughs> Hello. Right, you you wrote <laughs> less stuff, uh-huh. but you actually spend your prep time kind of thinking out tropes and frameworks for the session as well as kind of coming up with that initial seed to get the game going yeah and so it's still work and it's still work you do as a gm it's just it's different than um the old school like i'm gonna get some graph paper out and draw a dungeon i'm gonna roll on some tables and stock it with some monsters i'm gonna write some descriptions of my rooms down and all that stuff right like that's what we consider like traditional prep and not that we're gonna go deep into this but improv gaming just puts prep in a different place so right and it does put a little bit more pressure on you to be quick thinking in the moment at the table so it also just shifts some of the prep work is happening on the fly when you're actually running the game (laughs) which why when you are a brand new gm unless you are 
super good at improv, like you took improv theater in college and you kicked ass at it, or you're also part of an improv troupe, or you have some sort of natural affinity. If if you don't have any of those training, practice, or natural affinity, you might not want to ad lib your first games as a GM. Yeah. You're gonna do enough ad libbing just keeping the game going forward. Oh yeah. Right, but to ad lib the entire story and keep the game going forward is actually a little more of an advanced, a uh, little more of advanced technique. I, I am going to disagree with you slightly, although I do agree with you, but I also slightly disagree with says, you. Says the theater kid. Go ahead. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> says the theater kid. I just You're, qualified, unless you, did, you have. You did. I you did. did. It's fair. It's fair. I actually find it much easier to run an ad libbed game than a written adventure because I'm better at the type oh, of cognitive load that it I takes. Didn't, right. I didn't say. I didn't say that. Let I me know, back up and qualify. It's fine. It's I'm going to qualify. I'm saying for your first GMing experience, <laughs> unless you have a background, training, or talent in it, it is extra work. Yeah, but I just, I failed every game that I tried to GM until I tossed all the pre-made adventures out the window, and then suddenly I was like, I can do this! Anyway. It's it's fair. It's totally fair. <laughs> like, it is a preference thing. You will find your own style. You will find your niche, um, yeah. But I, I, what I'm cautioning against is that there is a very bad attitude that is prevalent in the gaming community that prep is bad, improv's good, and there's only one true way, and oh, it's improv. That's bad. And no. and it's bullshit because yes. there is never one true way of anything. Nope. And two, one should never feel guilty about their prep. No. Um, so if you are good at, at ad-libbing, then you, do improv, then you do improv stuff. And if you are good at doing prep, you do prep. And eventually, I mean, I'm one who learned both. Yeah. I'm actually comfortable with either one. Yeah. Um, which, you know, works for different games in different ways, which is things we've talked about. But move on. Yeah, move anyway, on, anyway, on. sorry. So both, basically, both Phil and I are um, advocates for writing our own adventures for a lot of the reasons that we just talked about. But... Also, having said that, we are very established GMs, and our prep time, like for our standard types of prep for Phil, could be all sorts of things, um, is pretty low, right? It just doesn't take us that long because we know what to key in on. Yeah, I mean, even my prep stuff I doesn't know. take me doesn't take me very long because right? I know I, I have that down to like the bare minimum of what I right. want to prep. Never unprepared. That, right. That book. Again, two hundred. That's two hundred level. Like that's two hundred level stuff. Yeah. Right? Go go run a bunch of games. But yeah. And anyway. Then worry about that. <laughs> All right. But so now that we've talked about writing your own, Phil, tell me about using published material. Yeah. So in contrast, published materials are going to be less writing for you, uh, but there it does have some downsides, and we're going to talk about those. But let's start with some positives, right? So the positive the positive things about published adventures. The first thing is somebody has written the whole adventure for you. Yeah. Right. They've come up with a story, a beginning, middle, and end. They've stocked all your rooms with encounters, and they've put cool things in it, and and all of that stuff. And you didn't have to. Yeah. And the second thing is, is that it also gives you a template for one way to construct your adventures in the future, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I don't run an adventure from a game, when I, when I learn a new game, I almost always read one of the one that's included in the book so that I get some idea of like what my prep should have in it. Mm -hmm. And then from there, like I can kind of go off and do like my like i have like a generic prep that i like to do like a generic structure 
but knowing how a, a game is run, I'll I will make sure that the important elements from that game get kind of ported into that structure. Right. And the other thing to remember is that even if you use a published adventure, you are still going to do some prep, right? Because you need to read that adventure and get familiar with it, like we were talking about at the beginning, right? Yeah, and it is a different type of skill, right? So there, the skill to have written something of your own and remember it and be able to tell it to somebody is different from reading somebody else's thing. Uh-huh committing the important parts to memory and being able to regurgitate it. So it is the difference between like improv and scripts, right? Like to it, some extent, right? Sometimes it's like trying to read someone else's code and figure out what the logic exactly. choices they made, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. So um, you are going to have to do some prep for it. Um, whatever helps you study, like whatever helped you study in university is what you do here, right? Yeah. So if you want to stick post-it notes in it, if you want to use highlighters, whatever, do that. The The goal is to make it so that you can find the important stuff in the published material. Yeah. The other potential negative here is that somebody else wrote this adventure, which means it's in their tone and their style, not yours. So if a game is a good match for you, or if the game line produces consistent adventures like Call of Cthulhu, right? Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu, yep. pretty consistent. Yes. West End Games, if we're going back in the Wayback Machine, mm-hmm. West End Games Paranoia Adventures, pretty consistent in terms of wackiness, right? Um, if the line has a good central tone and theme, this will not be as big of an issue for you if you already like the game. Right, because if you are playing Call of Cthulhu, it's assumed that you probably like Cthulian things. Right. But if you have a different tone or style, then you are running the risk that while you're going to be able to run the game from a technical perspective, you might not like all the scenes or the overall story that they're telling. Or potentially, if you have to ad-lib something because your players go off and do something, your ad-libbing may not fit the same style as the adventure was written for, right? So you can do some things to mitigate that with a little bit of internet research and uh, possibly some actual play podcasts so you can hear it in advance and then you'll know. Yeah. Uh, when I started running DCC, like I needed to pick my first adventure and um, I, you know, hit a few blogs, checked a few chat rooms about, you know, starting DCC games, uh, got a short list of cool adventures and ultimately wound up listening to um, the Gauntlet's Fear of a Black Dragon's episode on the Sunless Sea. Which was my first, which was my choice for my first DCC adventure, which was great because one, it's a really cool kick-ass adventure, but two, having read a couple reviews and having listened to Fear of a Black Dragon, like there are a couple of um, sticky points in the game that I was like aware of from other people. And I was like, oh yes. And I went into the, into the module and like put extra notes so that I wouldn't get my players caught on some of those parts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's extra good stuff. That That's above and beyond right there. Mm-hmm. And when we are starting to look out for things, as I look at the time going by, I think we are on the lookout <laughs> for the end of the show. Yep. Uh, but before we do, Senda, tell us about another show on the Mistractor Mark Network. Sure. In Jang Hu Hustle, you can train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. 
Say, uh, Senda, where can people reach us on the internet, just like Joel did today? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pandas talk games. Or you can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, what can they do with that information? By all means, please send us topics for the show. Ask us questions. Um, ask us to pontificate on things. Find out uh, what our favorite whatevers are in gaming. Um, or maybe you just have a random uh, question about the Ditch Lilies, the uh, greatest 90s band you probably never heard of because, you know, you were too busy listening to Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. But in either <laughs> <Lungings>. case, <laughs> but in either case, uh, send us your topics. We love to talk about the things that you're interested in. And in all honesty, we really don't do a lot of work to come up with our own topics for the show. So we're kind of really dependent on you for giving us things to talk about. So please, we like talking to each other and we like talking to you. So come up with some ideas. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Senator, what's the other thing we can uh, people can do with our social media? Uh, information well you can send us your table selfies so the next time you are sitting down at that awesome table or joel when you end up running that game we want to see yes! a picture we want to <laughs> see the first game joel we go really for do. <laughs> you can post it on the social media of your choice and hashtag at table selfie but i'll probably really only see it if you put it on twitter so you should probably put it on twitter <laughs> uh-huh yeah and we love seeing what you guys are playing Indeed, we do. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, please consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get all sorts of ridiculous good things, starting with uh, access to the Slack Room for Life, um, the bonus outtakes from this show, which are just hilarious, um, the after show for Misdirected Mark, that's a grab bag. You can get anything from deep feels to weirdness to hilarity, but it's also very good. Um and occasionally our backers just get stuff as we create things. Like sometimes you just get a game. It happens. Yep. So yeah, do all of those things. The other thing we like to do is shout out to our uh, to our patrons who uh, help keep the lights on. Tonight, we're just going to do three shout outs to Craig, the Lord of One Name, my brother, Noah Bon, and Jean Lorbert. Thank you so much for your continued support. Senda, what's the other thing people can do that supports this podcast um, that makes us happy and makes us like pandas that have eaten too much bamboo and keep falling down a hill? Um, you can leave us a rating re or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Every new review we get really pretty much everywhere actually helps new people find the show because it's just how they, you know organize things which is great so we really really love to get them and they also make us super giddy because oh my god artistic validation we really love to hear from you guys that way and know that you love us <laughs> if you're not mm -hmm. going to leave a five star review it's fine just don't leave a review it's fine <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say just don't don't say anything at all <laughs> wow okay say senda show me how you're going to arrange your table for turning point This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Click, click, click. Can I tell you what is worse than not having Chicago mix? 
What is worse than not having Chicago? Is this a joke? No. Is this like the beginning of a, a punchline? No, thing? this is the beginning of a tragedy. In- oh dear. <laughs> so I was at the store the other day. In terms of Chicago mix, there's the great Chicago mix, which is Garrett's, right? Like, right, right, which like, Schmitty is supposed to be bringing us some. Oh, snap, out. man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let me, that totally derailed me for a second. Okay. Sorry. Tell me uh, the story right, so of Garrett's, the tragedy. So Garrett's is the great, um, like, it, it doesn't get better than Garrett's, right? Okay. Below Garrett's is that brand that you it, and I get at the, the store. The with white the, package with the blue stripies that I don't remember the name of, but it has I, somebody's initials at the beginning. Exactly. It's like yeah, JP something, something, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Whatever that one is, that's the good Chicago yeah. mix. Okay. Yes. So the other day I was in the store. Yeah. And um, the company Smart Food, right? The one that makes the cheddar yeah, yeah, popcorn. Yeah. Which the cheddar popcorn is really good. The white cheddar. Right. Yeah. So they make a Chicago mix. Oh, dear. Right? Yeah. So I was like, well, they make good popcorn. Like, yeah. like this should be good. Yeah. Um, it's not. The, oh. the ratio's wrong. Oh, no. It's like too much cheese and oh. not enough. Oh, no. Um, and not enough of the, um, of the caramel. Bloop. On the initial eating of the first part of the bag, it was fine because right. I, was, I was doing what you're supposed to do, right? Like, yeah, one I was, of each. Yeah. Right, and I was even doing like a, like their caramel was a little sweeter, so I was doing like a two to one, two to cheese, two to, two to one cheese, yeah, yeah, two to one, like two cheese, that. one, right, yeah, yeah, and it was delicious, right? Like yeah. the flavor was good, yeah. But I got into the last, I got into the last third of the bag tonight, yeah. and uh, it was like almost all cheese. Yeah, that's not okay. I was like, I didn't want cheese popcorn. I wanted, I wanted Chicago, Chicago mix. mix. <laughs> like you got like it, the ratio is key right like you like i don't think manufacturers completely understand the ratio is key and that's also the reason why you can't just let um people just savage your bag of, oh, of chicago no. mix like oh i'm just oh, gonna randomly no. grab a handful out like the hell you are i mean you can randomly pour some out but then as you eat it you have to eat it in sets right, well assuming that you've also shook the bag you know to oh yes so that, you have to shake the bag very thoroughly first right Yes. That's why Garrett's is actually like the Garrett's ratio is superb. Like it is the best. Um anyway. yeah, there's a there's a golden popcorn ratio. That you are correct. We've talked about it before, but yeah. So <laughs> the smart so the smart food one, um the smart food one uh over time uh fails the ratio. And that's yeah. problematic. That is um, very problematic. Which is then bad because like I'm settling down, right? I'm like, I was in between stuff and I was like, oh, I'll have a quick snack before I play some Minecraft. Sure. And we're not going to talk about Minecraft. Um, I was like, I'll have a, <laughs> uh, um, like I'll have a small snack. And uh, like, I just like, I was like ready for Chicago mix, but got cheese popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that wanted- is a case of misset expectations. Right. And we all know that misset expectations lead only to disappointment and hurt feelings. Exactly. Wanted chocolate chip cookie, got oatmeal raisin. Right? Yeah, like that's yeah. You're like, well, right. I don't have anything against oatmeal raisin, but when I want chocolate chips, right. Thought I was getting Coke, got root beer. Right, like yeah, I like both like, of those things, but not but, my expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about this nonsense word that's on your kombucha. Yeah, bottle. so I'm drinking kombucha because you know, um, like this is I I was on antibiotics, and so I'm like, yeah, probiotics. What? What? But. I just noticed this one. It's pretty tasty. It's okay. lemon ginger. Yep. Um, 
What? Good, good. Yeah, no. And it says it supports immune health. That's great. That would be the probiotic part. That's why I'm drinking lots of kombucha. It's my excuse. And then it says that it has adaptogenic ashwagandha. Okay, so I, um, so one, I didn't think I, either of those words were real, but, I'm, right. but ashwagandha <laughs> might be real. Mm-hmm. Um, but adaptogenic sounded like bullshit. So uh, I just <laughs> ran it through, um, through Google Define. Yep. Um, and Speak it's, to me. Uh, it, sounds, it, it does, it's, it does actually have a Merriam-Webster entry for adaptogen. Okay. Bloop. So yes, adaptogenic is apparently a word, um, but I'm pretty sure it's nonsense. Um, now, See, I, don't, I, I, grew, a whole bunch grew, of people are going to get angry. Don't get yeah. angry at me. I only like science. Okay. Yeah. To me, I just read it and I go, fantastic. Uh, this is, this is. Did it, was it yummy? It was delicious. I, I mean, I really, it was fantastic. I'm going to drink it whether I believe in, in the uh, herbal supplements or not, because it was delicious. Oh, here we go. Wikipedia's got a little bit. probiotics are there, though. Wikipedia's got a little more on this one. Okay, okay. Um, most of the studies conducted on adaptogens were performed in the Soviet Union, Korea, and China before the 1980s and have been partially dismissed for various methodological flaws. Oh, dear. Bloop. Is it yummy? Yeah. Yes. Is it, is it res- probiotic? Is it re- Yes, yeah. it is, is probiotic. Sure. Also, it has it, um, is, it is has it, bacillus coagulans. Sure. No, lactobacillus rhamnosus. Sure, bacillus is a uh, uh, wonderful bacteria, right? Big spherical guys, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm trying to repopulate my stomach, so no, that part's fine. I don't yeah. Have no. Prob- so I, I, I don't have a problem like, with that. We're, we're good. We're good there. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's defending <laughs> your body against stress. Um, I don't but, think it's going to prevent me from getting cancer. <laughs> or just whatever defending yeah. your body against stress covers. Okay, so good. Um, so that's what we've learned, right? Adaptogenic isn't a real word, and um, Chicago mix has what, a magic ratio. Bloop. Yeah, and what's ashwagandha? I mean... Oh, okay, hang on. Ashwagandha. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. It's like a, it's a real herb. It sounds... That's the part that makes me feel very much at home, like I'm, like okay. I'm a kiddo ashwagandha. again. Ashwagandha. Okay. Well, I've got 150, I've got 150 articles on, on uh, ashwagandha here. Hang on. <laughs> I mean, I'm we looking. should just, just look quickly at one that just tells you, like, what does it look like? No, I, I really don't like too much of them. Um, <laughs> okay, hang on. Uses, side effects, interactions, and warnings. Oh, this one's from WebMD, so this is fairly close to science. Okay. Uh, it's a plant. The root and berry are used to make medicine. Okay. Okay. Um, oh gosh, it has side effects, usages, dosage, and warnings. Well, that's don't tell me that. I still have another bottle of this in my refrigerator. All right. So hang on. So hang on. <laughs> Can I just hang on? Can I just tell you all the things that it it it, it is used for? Uh-huh. Arthritis, anxiety, bipolar disorder, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, balance, obsessive compulsive disorder, trouble sleeping, tumors, tuberculosis, asthma, a skin condition marked by white patchiness, leukodermia, bronchitis, backache, fibromyalgia, uh, menstrual problems, hiccups, Parkinson's disease, underactive thyroid, and chronic liver disease. It's also used to reduce the side effects of medication used to treat cancer and schizophrenia. Uh, so essentially, ashwagandha is used for everything. Everything. It's so, yeah. It's one of those. Bloop. No, it's, it's not in, one of those. That, that's not any of those. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, then you have to get to the part where it says in Ayurvedic Indian and Unani on Unani medicine. 
It's yes. described as Indian ginseng. And the moment that you get to Ayurvedic, I go, oh yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> there we go. Because you don't, you you didn't, you missed all the parts where I grew up taking Amrit Kalash and um, turmeric and honey and all sorts of strange things that my mother stuffed into me. I mostly hid the Amrit Kalash under the couch because it tasted really gross. <laughs> I'm sure the couch wasn't too thrilled. I don't know. My parents must have found it vacuuming or something. Um, You should tell your your dad that story. He would just (laughs) laugh because he was totally not. He was totally. I know your dad looks like the kind of guy who just gets like NyQuil. Like if he's not not feeling well. Right. Like, and he is like, it was definitely my mom who was really. I I think it's clear based on your childhood, just how much your dad loved your mom. Like, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't totally out of it until they moved there, and then he was like, "These people are crazy." Right. The, again, like, it, it I, was it was a growing understanding. Yeah. I, I again, I think just the sign of how much your dad loved your mom. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Anyway, you want to do a show? Good. We should really do a show because we're doing we're going to do a quick show and be done in half an hour, right? Uh, I'm going to try. Yep. You ready? <laughs> uh huh. Oh, I didn't even color code the first part of it. Oh, are you going to know what to do? I mean, it does have my name in front of it, but I almost fixed it earlier. Bloop. Yeah, I'm sorry I that never... I even suggested that. That's okay. I actually feel really bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> like that, I actually feel really yucky that that, that was supposed to be a joke. I think you were just making a joke, terrible. but yes, I would, never, <laughs> I would never tell you your memory was wrong about Aww. something. Bloop. All right, let's go make a show, man. Okay. Meow at me. Meow. Meow. Meow at me. Thank See, you for including that. that. Was a callback from um, last week. <laughs> and I let you do it. I know, that was weird. <laughs> when it comes to being Bloop. I'm so sorry, I totally just stole your line. I'm just going to say it before we go. Woosha. 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 I'm getting good at it. Uh-huh. That was good. It was really smooth. Yeah, you didn't even, I didn't even blink. No, no, no. I wasn't even correcting you. I literally just wanted to say woosha. <laughs> okay. Bloop. You can drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com, or you can drop us an email. I don't have this pattern without the Google yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, see, I put the um, the one thingy in the middle with the other thingies on top of it, and then I put show me the what thingy you over here. Show me what you got. <laughs> show me what you got. Show me show what, you, me what got. you got. Oh, what was I going to say? Something about Chris. Something about the better Chris. Uh, best Chris. Uh, the best Chris. Yeah, he best started Chris. tweeting again. I know. He, well, he started tweeting at us again. Um, yeah. Um, I don't remember what it was. Crap. Well, that's what I mean. Because if he if he was tweeting at anyone else, I I didn't pay attention to it. But he's tweeting at us. <laughs> I attention to it. I, you're back. I saw you. He's back from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. I'm very impressed you got that. Oh come on! I had to sing that in choir. That's the song that I covered for Soth. That's the one <laughs> you sent me the email Soth, today. Man. The backer Soth. one. Because Soth will arrive. Hey, hey. Yeah. It's awesome. Like that. Bloop. Damn, there was something I was going to say about Best Chris. My and entire it was funny, and of, I can't remember it. My entire backing of Soth is because of your episode. 
Is it because we Rickrolled you? No, it's because literally it's it is my favorite Sass Geek episodes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's is is good ones. I love those episodes. They're, they're good, and I think it's when I first met you and I was listening to them. Like, um, I just like I've I just like I remember really liking them and really digging them, and I laughed a lot during. Uh, they were very funny. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to running it myself. But we should say goodbye. Yeah, we should. We should say adios. <laughs> Au revoir. No, I guess we'll say bye. 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 Stop. Bye. Bloop. Leave us a four-star review with some no. constructive criticism. No. We'll take that as well. No. I'm cutting right. that. Email us and talk <laughs> and leave us some constructive criticism. Yeah, if you criticism. have constructive criticism, it's fine. Send us an email. We love constructive okay. criticism. But give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> That's bonus outtake territory. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>